0: So, good morning. I'm wanting to ask how that was this morning. <laughs> or there. I noticed um, at least a, l- a little more of the meta muddles than before. And uh, the contest for meta models is still open, <laughs> uh, by the way. So, I want to explore uh, daily life practice uh, in relation to meta. This morning, talk maybe for half an hour and have about 15 minutes for us to talk together. But I want to begin just with a reflection that I'll, I'd like to invite uh, for each of us. So you can go, and I'll invite you to go inside and to ask yourself, what are the one or two ways that I can Best bring what I've been cultivating here this week into my daily life. Might be one or two further ways from what exists now or but but really stay just with one or two, not a list of ten. Just the one or two most fundamental ones. So how to bring this um, precious practice that we've been doing, this um, invocation of the open heart, how to bring this into our daily lives? You know, this beautiful, simple practice, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. It's that asking um, continually, where is my heart right now? And having the intention towards kindness, towards openness. A few years ago, uh, I had the opportunity for a longer metta retreat, about five weeks. And I was reflecting, and I think the most important insight of those five weeks was was quite simple. Um, What I found from, you know, very much like what we've been exploring, what I found is that uh, at moments when there wasn't metta present, I felt off. And I noticed that particularly. Of course, if there was a judgmental thought or if I was in the dining hall and a lot of material for meta occurs in the dining hall.
1: <laughs>
0: Making some evaluation of the amount of food of someone else, of course, not, not myself.
1: <laughs>
0: but I noticed and, and I found when I would do that, when there would be a judgmental thought It felt off, and I needed to come back immediately whenever there was a judgment with a round of four phrases for that person. Kind of an amend, you might say. That's what it felt like internally. I needed to come back uh, with that. And I also felt that even when there wasn't a judgmental thought, when I would just notice someone, let's say, walking with a limp, and it didn't have a, a charge really, no, um, no valence, but just an observation. But it didn't have the spirit of metta, that felt off also. Just that quality of attention without the warmth. And when I would notice that, I would also stop, do four phrases for the person, as a way to, in a way, come back to balance. And, of course, that's a high bar to keep in daily life. <laughs> but that's really stayed with me, you know, as a guide. And, of course, uh, uh, of course, that's not the way I practice in daily life in terms of every moment where I'm just making an observation, I come back and immediately do metta. But that um, that experience has really stayed with me. It's really telling me that when there's not metta presence, I'm unbalanced in some way. And so this very powerful, profound practice, how to have that quality of metta there, how to move towards that. It's really not a question of somehow duplicating that, but really how to remember to move towards that simplicity of the open heart that we've been cultivating. And it's hard, right? It's hard in this culture. You know, there are all sorts of distractions, not so much support. I don't need to say much about that, right? It's not easy. We don't have uh, anything like most of us, like like this level of support. And yet, I think we have uh, quite deep aspirations. You know, we have quite deep aspirations to have a fullness of our hearts and open minds there in our daily lives. I think we're actually um, inclined, many or most of us, to do something that maybe hasn't been done before. Certainly in Buddhist tradition, where, as it were, those who were really uh, dedicated tended to become monks and nuns. Monks or nuns, not monks and
1: nuns.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I spent about 10 years as a co-editor of a journal and I, that was editing my own talk in process. (laughs) Interesting. Um, So, but we have this, um, we have this, uh, almost a a fervor or a real powerful um, um, energy to make this real, not just to have it be there for a 30-minute sitting a day or occasional retreats, but to bring this into our lives. And it's challenging, you know, and we we really need each other. So I wanted to talk about ways to help support that that, um, core intention, and particularly in the framework of metta. And I I like to frame how to look at daily life practice in terms of the same rhythm of widening from the self that we do in metta practice. I like to think of it, some of you may know that beautiful poem by Rilke uh, that, that go, the first lines are, I live my life in widening circles. Let's see, how does that go? I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. And we can look at our practice in terms of our individual practice, our practice in our relationships, and then our meta practice in the context of the larger world. So first, uh, some suggestions in, in terms of our individual practice. And First, really, in terms of leaving the retreat. Even if you've heard this many times, it's helpful to say that you're more sensitive and open than you think you are. <laughs> you probably saw that yesterday, right, in the, in the communication, and may have felt being um, in a difficult process at times with energy rising or feeling Um, unbalanced in some way. And so just in terms of knowing that degree of sensitivity, it's really important to, as much as you can, my suggestion would be to limit the input in the near future. If you have a chance right when you get home to go to a party, (laughs) (laughs) consider telling those who invited you, how much you'd really like to go and you really want to go to the next one. Um, Consider not immediately reading all your emails. (laughs) Consider not launching into five-hour discussions immediately consider reflecting on what those with whom you're in dialogue when you get home um, about your retreat are really interested in. Many are extremely satisfied just to hear how did the retreat go? Pretty good. (laughs) 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 And you can feel your own inclination to want to talk minimally for an hour. And that person may be satisfied by about 30 seconds. (laughs) So, consider that that may be the case. Uh, It's helpful also not to try to hang on to any level of concentration or to um, a particular state of mind or even to hold on to an insight. The most powerful ones are there in an important way and can be accessed at other times. But just to have that uh, quality of the moment-to-moment practice. And sometimes that does involve um, a letting go, and there can be a sense of loss that can be real, that you may feel. But it's best to really to Um, both not hang on and uh, work with the momentum of the retreat, both. Not to hang on, but yes, very helpful if you can uh, sit maybe a little more than you might. Keep the momentum of the retreat going. For many of us that can be, I know there are at least some here, for whom it was important to re-establish an on and off uh, daily practice. So definitely both not hold on, but use the momentum of the retreat to continue. Very, very, very important. Some basics of daily life practice in, in terms of metta. Sometimes it's asked how much metta, how much mindfulness, what should I do? It's perfectly fine, and I've done this a few times, to only do metta practice in the near future. I think when I've done, I think particularly the long retreats, or when I've done sometimes a week at a time, I've wanted to do metta as my main practice for a few months. And it can really help establish the uh, foundation or the strength of the metta practice to do that. Um, it's also wonderful to do a certain amount of metta, a certain amount of mindfulness practice. You know, We've been saying how much they're interwoven, but in terms of the formal practice, to do metta at the beginning of a sitting or at the end of a sitting, do 10 or 15 minutes every day, I think it can be really uh, helpful to keep the thread of metta going, however you do that, you know, whether it's in a formal sitting or in some other way. Sangha or community, of course, crucial to be with others who value uh, silence, contemplative practice. That can help sustain the metta practice. Uh, some of you, particularly if you know uh, others here, or um, might consider even having a metta sangha. That's happened out of this retreat a few times. People have said, let's meet for a, uh, once a month and just focus on metta practice for a few hours. You know, if you feel called to do that um, and invite people, that would be great. That's happened before, just to do metta practice. Um, I'll just name some other practices which are more standard in terms of uh, keeping the continuity going. Uh, doing uh, some reading can be really helpful. The, you know, the, there's a reading list with some of the main metta books starred. You know, Sharon Salzberg's uh, Loving Kindness is probably the, the central text, but there's, there's material in a lot of Sylvia's books. Um, there are um, wonderful books that can really uh, really inspire us. Read the Metta Sutta every day. Uh, read, read other materials. Um, a practice which I've done a lot over the last 25 years, which can be very helpful, is a Sabbath practice done both East and West, which is to do um, one day a week or could be could be um, half a day a week as a return to a practice period, practice session. And it's been really crucial in my own practice to do that for all these years. It's like coming back to some extent into the energy of the retreat once a week. Not easy always to organize in one's life, but to do three or four hours, um, one morning a week, or I, I know one person does two to six every Friday afternoon. You know, it can be a very, very powerful support for practice. Of course, um, coming to retreats is very helpful. Um, people I do one-on-one work with, I often uh, I often ask, have you scheduled your next retreat? Kind of like, um, you know, Six, every six months, doctor's appointments or something. You know, have you scheduled your next retreat? It, it can be very helpful to clarify priorities. And in fact, for many of us, really being clearer about priorities is maybe a crucial outcome of this retreat. Being clearer, saying what's important for me with all with all that's happening. Just a few more things. Um, in the flow of our daily lives, metta practice can be simply to ask, where is my heart right now? You know, I'm in, I've been inspired for a number of years by what I heard from Julia Butterfly Hill. She asks continually, is my action coming out of love? Just to ask that continually is completely to uh, follow the spirit of metta. Notice the voices which undermine metta, the judgmental voices. I think we have to be students of our undermining voices, our old conditioned patterns. We have to study them, to notice them, to bring metta to them, to to track them continually, to notice those voices. Metta is a powerful antidote when there is distress. We haven't really mentioned it so much, but metta was designed by the Buddha as an antidote to fear. When our metta is strong and there's a distressing moment and we can't really be mindful, you know? it could be after something difficult has happened or the middle of, of the night distress that sometimes occurs. Uh, when that happens to me, I go right to metta. It's like, to really, it's, it's a way to come back to balance. So metta is a powerful resource for distress, and our metta practice is of sufficient strength for it to be available. We have to keep it up. If, if the metta isn't strong enough, the distress comes, you summon metta, and it doesn't quite have enough energy at times. So we have to really keep it up also for those difficult moments. Do that which gladdens the heart, you know, as with the guidance that Heather uh, Martin gave us. Do that which gladdens the heart regularly, to, um, to be with beauty, to be in nature, to be with art. At the end of my five-week meta-retreat, I really wanted to um, have more, I really felt tremendously impelled to have more beauty in my home. I'd been there a while, but I hadn't beautified it sufficiently. And that occurred to me during the meta-retreat. And I was actually right in the final period of writing that book which is out there on the table called The Engaged Spiritual Life. And I had a deadline which was not long after the meta-retreat, my meta-retreat. And in fact, I asked my editor whether it was okay to do it and we postponed the deadline a little bit. And I really felt compelled to have more um, beauty and I asked, can we extend the deadline by four months so I can do interior decoration? (laughs) And Great editor, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, but she said yes. And so I primarily focused on interior decoration and it did occur to me that what is meta but interior decoration? (laughs) So, so uh, individual practice that, you know, like the chant that we did, may I be filled with loving-kindness. And the second uh, round or the second uh, domain is may you be filled with loving-kindness. How do we bring loving-kindness or metta into our, our relationships? Um, um, keeping the precepts is one very beautiful way to do that. Precepts are really an expression of metta following the precepts. So, actually, close attention to the precepts is a wonderful way to bring metta to others. And uh, the precepts both express metta, and when the metta is strong, the precepts are a natural um, result, really. You know, there's a powerful passage in the text of the Buddha where he says, this is really uh, related. I think we've... we've uh, Uh, Cited this uh, once or twice. I visited all quarters with my mind, nor found I any dearer than myself. Self is likewise to every other dear. One who loves oneself will not harm another. I'll come back to that. To me, that's extremely profound that the the roots of harming actually may be in a lack of self love. It's very powerful. And so when we ground ourselves in metta, we naturally, I think we've noticed that, we want to be kind and it's uh, much harder and it may feel like a violation to do harm even in small ways. I think we probably have noticed that. So the precepts, very, 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 very powerful. Um, Close relationships, obviously, friendships can be ways to develop metta in powerful and beautiful ways. You know, uh, particularly if the other is uh, interested in the same kind of practice, you know, the way that maybe of seeing our relationships as the mutual polishing of diamonds in the rough, (laughs) you know, that we are all these uh, brilliant diamonds in formation. We have, each of us have some rough edges and we like to um, rub up against others with those rough edges. And so that uh, quality of metta with people close to us can be there right in the uh, midst of the relationship to bring, that into, to bring that into our practice. And I've sometimes thought that it would be wonderful in a metta retreat to really focus on that relational dimension, maybe have a relational metta retreat. It would be very, very interesting. Another fundamental practice I think we all know is metta with difficult people. There may be difficult people out there lurking. (laughs) (laughs) And we have to remember always to put difficult people in quotation marks. Because um, a few years ago, I did a series of talks, and I think a day long, called The Dharma of Difficult People. And one of my first blazing insights was To have someone whom we call a difficult people, a difficult person, primarily means that I have difficult experiences with that person. (laughs) That's what defines that person as difficult. It's not an objective quality of the other. It's the fact that I have difficult experiences. That's a good starting point for practice, to remember that I'm primarily talking about my own experience and we know that something that was difficult in the past with a given person, when we've done a certain amount of inner work, is not so difficult. And so that's really important, Um, really important to do that, to really, if we can somehow take those appearances of the difficult person, quotation marks, and say, "Uh uh-oh, time for metta, or time for practice, then our practice actually can accelerate for many of us, you know, the difficult moments. Shantideva from the eighth century, like a discovering a treasure unexpectedly in my home, I should be grateful to have a difficult person for that person assists me in my awakening. Or another person said, this is not exactly the spirit of metta, but I thought I'd say it anyway. Love your enemies, it really pisses them off. <laughs> And so we can do do metta with difficult people. We can bring the metta into all sorts of activities. Uh, We can do metta at meetings, particularly if we're not so active at a meeting, bring metta into meetings. A lot of people do metta with public transportation. You can do versions of the metta for all beings with public transportation. A lot of people do metta when they're driving. I have two students whose primary form of spiritual practice is metta during driving. And it actually can be quite, um, quite wonderful. I know one person here has told me of doing metta while bicycling. You know, it's that bringing of metta to whoever one encounters, that, that spirit of metta. Um, I'll just mention one other way to do metta which came to me unexpectedly also at the end of that five-week retreat when I did not take the guidance that i myself had earlier offered this morning. And I um, downloaded, um, I had to, I was, the last three days of the retreat, I had to attend to some outward activities and I downloaded 400 emails. This is four and a half weeks into, uh, you know, 18 hours of meta a day. Thank you for your compassion.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and uh, what was interesting is that there was no way that I could not do metta. And so the, you know, the metta phrases kept on going with the emails and I actually started a practice which I've been doing since then, I think it was about six years ago, which was to do metta with every email. And I found myself doing it at first in a way which, is, in a form which has pretty much stayed, which is that I had with each uh, email, I would try, I would do internally, do something like the four phrases. And then I would try to bring the spirit of metta into the body of the email. You know, at first I would say something like, I hope this finds you well. And over time, since, you know, I communicate to a lot of the same people a lot, I've had to vary it or, (laughs) you know, now I get, you know, for quite a while, I've been getting back emails saying, I hope hope you feel well. (laughs) I hope this finds you well, but whatever form you do, it's, you know, it's uh, it's always been a kind of a koan to me. How do we bring our practice to the computer, right? And it's this practice slows one down and you can actually bring the spirit of metta. It can be like um, a regular practice. It's like I cannot do, uh, you know, look at an email without metta coming to mind. Quite interesting. So this last domain I'll be I'll be brief on, the way of bringing metta into the world. You know, we have that chant again, may I be filled with loving-kindness, may you be filled with loving-kindness, may we be filled with loving-kindness. And there's a way that the world deeply needs that, that metta energy in all sorts of ways. I think we know that, you know. Um, there's a beautiful short poem by... Dina Metzger, she says, there are those who are trying to set fire to the world. That We are in danger. There is time only to work slowly. There is no time not to love. There are those who are trying to set fire to the world. We are in danger. There is time only to work slowly. There is no time not to love. You know, and we can find ways to do that, to bring that into the spirit of metta, into our work, into our community life, into our engagement with the larger world. You know, uh, Martin Luther King thought that he was inspired by reading Gandhi, and he once said that until he knew of Gandhi's work, he thought that the, what he called the love ethic of Jesus only made sense in face-to-face relationships. He said that after reading Gandhi who also talked about how at the core of that work was the spirit of love and the attempt to bring love into this large domain of action. He said after reading Gandhi he found how mistaken he was. He said Gandhi was probably the first person in history to lift the love ethic of Jesus above mere interaction between individuals to a powerful and effective social force on a large scale. And Gandhi once said, belief in nonviolence is based on the assumption that human nature in its essence is one and therefore unfailingly responds to the advances of love. So it's possible in whatever we are involved with, whatever level, you know, however we do that. You know, and I was also reflecting on that line, one who Loves oneself will not harm another. And when I first heard that, it was an electrifying uh, phrase, you know, and I I really reflected on how much of uh, harm in the world and violence uh, comes out of a lack of self-love. Shantideva, again, 8th century, once said that the reason for so much craziness in the world is that people don't really deeply know themselves. There's a lack of self-knowledge you know, and, and, and lack of self-love. And so it's uh, very powerful you know, to consider that as a guide, that somehow that as a response to our social issues to help there be more of that self-love and help the conditions which make possible self-love make possible love in the world. It's actually not usually the way we deal with social issues, but actually maybe very, very deep, very, very fundamental way to respond, to look at it that way. I'll just close with a few very practical ways that some of you may like to do, either individually or in a group, that is a way of actually doing a formal practice of metta in relationship to the world. Um, when I w- have been working with uh, Buddhist peace fellowship groups we, we have a, had a series of groups we call uh, base groups which were small groups of about 10 or 12 people that met for six months together to try to connect their inner work with their action in the world we would often end our evening meetings by doing what we call metta out loud towards any place in the world which needs metta And so we would start with the inner metta and then we'd invite people to say out loud where to bring metta towards. Sylvia and I in our Wednesday morning uh, teaching here at Spirit Rock, we almost always end our mornings by giving a chance for people to talk about what's uh, needing the attention, what's needing attention for an individual or a group or a situation. People talk about, my cousin is going to surgery tomorrow morning, or this happened a week ago and it's really hard for me, or whatever. And one can do this in one's groups to create that space where people just report. It's really a meta field. It's a beautiful practice. Or to, in some way, bring that spirit to the end of sittings, (coughs) making it public, you know, Um, after 9-11 here at Spirit Rock, we did a version of that where we just let people speak and brought the energy of metta into the public space in relationship to public events. It's possible to do that. So I just wanted to end with this core passage from the metta sutta, you know, just as a way of reminding us. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether it's standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. And I was reflecting that the Buddha himself in his walking to and fro, in his daily practice, was with metta. He abided. He talked about how walking, I suffuse what's in front of me, what's behind me, what's above, below, on either side with metta as a way of abiding. And this was his way of abiding. And I wish uh, for all of us this way of abiding. May this way of abiding grow stronger. May it continue. May it be a source of uh, strength and nourishment and beauty for ourselves and all around us. Thank you. So we have a little time if you have any uh, questions and we thought that we would um, uh, rather than have me be the only respondent, we thought we would share that among us. And so if there are any questions whatsoever, we don't have too much time but to um, ask. It could be a question for Khanda about bringing the yoga back or the spirit of metta and yoga, anything and we'll we'll share the responses. I think I'll repeat the uh, uh, question but then we'll see who wants to respond, please. Oh, I guess that's a question to me. <laughs> uh, is my bibliography anywhere on the web? Uh, the bibliography on meta that I left out. I could put it on. I have a website. I could put it there. Thank you. Thank you. That was easy. Which oh, website? my website. Which website? Uh, DonaldRothberg.com. That's through. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. We've come to it. We announce websites during Dharma talks. <laughs> so. okay. uh, please, in the back.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, when is it uh, useful to bring metta to, like if you're feeling a physical discomfort, when is it useful to bring meta to the actual pain itself? And then when is it useful to bring meta to yourself feeling the
0: Yes, so the question is, um, when there's um, some physical uh, pain or unpleasant sensations in the body, when is it skillful to bring metta towards those sensations themselves and when to the, uh, the person, to myself experiencing it?
1: Okay.
3: well I, I amended my I had an immediate answer, and then I started amending it before Donald handed me the uh, the <laughs> microphone because my my immediate my the immediate thought that came to me is uh the impulse to uh wish for surcease sort of, of discomfort comes from me because it's it's discomfort that i'm feeling, and I think that uh the, the uh, what we 've all been saying as the the inclination of the heart. Towards kindness uh, is is a universal uh, impulse, and it's especially uh, 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 evident in times when there's pain, our own or someone else's, and what uh, I I I I often feel like the initial uh, the initial wish. Uh, for a discomfort is for myself. Even when I hear about some really terrible thing that happened somewhere, I often respond to the startle in my mind. I say, oh dear, okay, relax, sweetheart, you're okay. You're safe, be safe, be at ease. And then I can think of the the uh, whoever it is that's having the pain, wherever it is that I hear about. But I almost always... Have as the beginning and reference point the startle in my own mind when I feel some pain in my body i it's uh for myself as the feeler of the pain that I uh, most naturally th- uh, think what I said about amending as I was saying, I was thinking, well, maybe because I was thinking I, I haven't ever thought really of wishing uh meta for the pain. But I thought to myself, so when, sometimes when we bring attentive awareness to a part of the body, I suppose my elbow were hurting and I'd rub it, maybe I might even do that in, in that specific way. It hasn't been the most natural response for me. The most natural response is responding to my own pain. That's actually most of the time, even regardless of where it is, and then it moves on to where it is, but... I actually think that's, um, it works well for me that way. Somebody else might have some. Let's take another question. Let me take another
0: yeah. Please, other questions? Uh, please. The question is how to take the yoga back,
4: uh, especially if one lives in Oregon. (laughs) I don't think you can do yoga in Oregon, can you? (laughs) Is it allowed? Um, So two two answers. One is that um, Kripalu yoga specifically, which we were practicing, um, has a website, and it's called Kripalu.org. K-R-I-P-A-L-U. Another website, Kripalu.org. And there is a locate. There's a place where you can locate teachers by putting in your your um, zip code or something like that, and you can see if there's Kripalu yoga teachers there. Um, other than that, um, my attempt was to to repeat and repeat and repeat. Certain things that you can take home, and I and I hope even the little stuff, the little stuff, you know, the seated sun and the breathing, the three-part breath, whatever little things, make go a long way. You don't have to have a whole hour practice to really get the benefit. So I just would recommend and suggest that you um, anything that you remember will will go a long way. Please.
0: So the question is about how to um, uh, be with partners, particularly on our return. Okay. Uh,
2: I know that from my own experience, um, my practice in relationship is no different than my awareness practice or loving-kindness practice. And so your relationship is part and parcel of your spiritual practice and your spiritual life. So really to honor that relationship in the same way that you honor what you've been doing here. Often, um, you know, there's the archetype of the Buddha who went into homelessness to search for enlightenment. There's also the archetype of the family that he left behind, his wife, his child. And so often when I am away to deepen my practice, um, I spend at least as much energy on my return directed towards my family and my partner. Because they've given me, the that's part of their dana practice, they've given me their... Um, permission and love <laughs> and support to create all these circumstances that I can practice, and so um, I honor that and and so I often will devote um, you know a dedicated time to both stephen and and my um, my parents and um, and really. Uh, again, you know the, gauging how much to actually share from your personal experience will 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 unfold as they become more and more familiar with your practice just by being with you and they don 't necessarily have to be practitioners themselves you know they will um, they will benefit from your practice just as much as you are benefiting from your practice because they are that connected with you. And that's really the short answer because really the the, um, the practice lasts for as long as you are in relationship.
1: Thanks, Larry. I think we'll have just one more question. This will be the last one.
0: I'll repeat the question. It's um, about having found equanimity practice very useful, but then uh, in its relationship to um, feeling care for others, but then the question came up, what's the place, what's the balance maybe, or what's the relationship of both the internal sense of care and the external action? Is that accurate enough?
5: Upon hearing you ask that question, what arises in me the most strongly is the power of that question. And and the fact that that's an investigation that you care about is way more important as far as I'm concerned as anything I'm about to say. And I will say something, but it's a really important question for you and for all of us. And I think a short answer is that the caring informs itself. The fact that you care about that issue of, you know, cultivating the inner caring and the equanimity that sees that we each have our own path and we are in relationship and that relationship is active and we're being asked for appropriate responses moment by moment. And then a piece that didn't get added when the question was asked is that we also have these cultural constructs that say you must do something and then there's all these somethings that we must be doing. I feel it comes back to the caring. You know, the caring about the question in each moment that you realize either you're being asked to respond or you feel you should respond. For myself, I feel that is the power of equanimity, of realizing that we're going to have our response, that it will come from more or less caring in every given moment, depending on everything else that's going on, um, that we can't get it right, but we can't get it wrong, and really taking the long view that this is our journey. You know, Somebody's asking for something, and we try something, and as Donald said, oh, it feels a little off. And then we go, "Oh it feels a little off I care I care about myself I care about them next time I'll try something else." that's a journey. I appreciate the question
0: Thanks Heather're we're going ha- to have to finish now so we can um, turn off the recording